Independent. Expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. Hello, hello. My name is Joe Armstrong. This is Independence Day, the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information, all without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. This week on Independence Day, Michael Chinworth. Michael Chinworth spent his formative years in Lancaster, Pennsylvania and rural Indiana before landing at Bennington College in Vermont to study music composition. After graduation, he was looking for a bigger pond with more opportunities, and he sent himself packing to New York City. But after five years grinding it out in bands in Brooklyn and beyond, an opportunity presented itself in Vermont, and Chinworth found himself back in the Green Mountain State a wiser young man. With his new album, Rudder Songs, Chinworth showcases his considerable skills as a vocalist and exhibits his angular chops on the piano while interpreting 10 Ben Folds meets Steely Dan songs composed by his prolific friend Trevor Wilson, along with an original composition of his own. While many artists would be content to take a lightweight digital keyboard on tour, Chinworth recently crossed the country playing a series of dates while remaining dutifully devoted to carrying a cumbersome Rhodes piano to every gig. And it's this kind of real-deal commitment that shows through in Michael Chinworth's music. Welcome to Independence Day. Michael Chinworth. What's going on, Michael? Not much. I'm glad to be here. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. You're on the road right now. I'm on the road. One of the liabilities of doing the show as I do, produced as it is, is that you're playing Hotel Cafe here in Los Angeles That's tonight. Right. But by the time you play, it'll be a couple, you know, a month or more <laughs> down the road and you will be back in your home state of Vermont, uh-huh. which is where you, where you live. Likely. I'll likely be there. Yeah, or yeah, I guess yeah. I mean you could be on the road doing something else, or you know, who who knows? Mm-hmm. You could get spirited away by a man in a hot air balloon. Who knows? Exactly. Um, but uh, but thank you for clearing time out of your schedule. I mean, I know what it's like to be on the road, uh, traveling. It's hard. I mean, it's great. It's great fun. Adventuring is good for the soul, but it, it's yeah. a challenge. Well, I'm very happy to be here. No, this was a definitely a pleasure. And uh, I'm really looking forward to hearing you play these songs. And I think I hope the listeners are too, because these are cool. These are really interesting. Like what you do. Uh, you slept an actual Fender Rhodes electric mm-hmm. piano out on the road, which is pretty cool. I think most people these days would just like take a Nord like electro. Right. Yeah. You know, but I think there's something bona fide. Well, it's definitely bona fide. There's something cool about taking the real deal. Like, let's tell me why. It just, uh, I, I just knew I, I mean, I have like a big 88 key Alesis, which does the job. A digital keyboard. A digital keyboard. But I mean, it's like, especially if it's the only thing that I have, that I have, it's like me and this piano, like as much as I can make it just feel good, <laughs> like for me, it's like, you know, playing like a real piano is the ultimate. And then right. the Rhodes is fine. I mean, the Rhodes, it's its own thing. It's not, a, it's not even like a replacement for a piano, but just having that actual live touch and yeah. the real, like you're making the sound in the thing. It just... It just feels more comfortable to just me. Just a quick primer and so people yeah. uh, know what we're, we're talking about here. You can see it on the video. Drop by the In-Depth Day website, Independence Day website, indepthday.com. You'll see him playing this thing. It's, it's not as big as a piano, certainly. Not even as big as a spinet. Um, it's like the size of a large suitcase, yeah, sort and of. It's, yep, basically, it's like a huge, it's like a trunk. And yeah. it's 77 keys, so it's 11, I think it's 77, no, 73. Yeah. So about uh, 15 keys shy of a normal piano uh which is totally fine i'm not doing any like crazy yeah. beethoven sonatas where i right. need to be <laughs> stretching six octaves but 
Yeah. And it's, uh, I mean, but the, the, they call these instruments electromechanical instruments. So the big, and the very, very key difference between this and, say, like a digital keyboard they'd go pick up at Guitar Center, Sam Ash, or whatever, is that when you hit it, it's not just entering digital information. No. There's inside, like, there's you know, an actual hammer. There's an actual striking hammer. Striking a tine. Striking a tine, and they're, mm-hmm. they're metal, right? On a Rhodes? Yep. And and then there's an electric pickup, like just a, kind of like mm-hmm. a guitar pickup that then picks up that and you know, changes that you know to an electronic signal, an yeah. electric signal. Yeah. Um, and that makes all the difference in the world. Like it, it has character. Huge. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've played some really convincing digital pianos that are great, but there's just even just the fact of this being a real acoustic instrument. Yeah. Like here, if you it's, it's if you fantastic. play it, like you might be able to pick it up on your mic. Like hit hit a couple of keys, like kind of hard. Might hear mostly the attack, but yeah, the mic might pick that up a little bit. But I guess that's yeah. the difference. If you play an electronic keyboard when it's turned off or the volume's Nothing's off, you don't happening. hear a thing. All you hear is the clack of the key. But on this, it's actually making an instrument. Mm-hmm. It's an instrument making a sound. It's which, in the room which with is you. Then amplified. It's yeah, in the room. And it feels and it's a like you're feel. in. You're with it. Yeah. Instead of kind of like this strange level one degree of detachment, even then. Right. Yeah, like a really convincing digital keyboard is as good as you're going to get, but it's still like. Of there's a scrim between you and the yeah, yeah. sound. I mean, it's like a really tiny, nitpicky, almost <laughs> like diva preference. <laughs> but yeah. it's an you know, I it's light enough that I can carry it. So I yeah. said, why the hell? And it's not? not so big as to be prohibitive. No. You know, you I saw you pulled up in a little like Honda Fit, and you yeah. can fit that thing in there with the rest of your gear yeah, out on the road. This is just right. I mean, this is in this particular model. Uh, no other roads could I do it alone. They're there's just an 88 far key too roads. heavy. Well, even this, even other models of 73 key roads are just different, and they they weigh much more, and I, you couldn't carry them alone. Um, and this is this just right. Yeah, I can carry it on my own, and like those yeah. guys who play like even a Hammond B3 chop. Like, those are several hundred pounds, and they're very complicated. Like an organ? Yeah, it's yeah. a Hammond, like Hammond a regular organ, organ like a yeah. B3. But then they, because a B3 has a whole, it's a cabinet. Like, a whole, it's got foot pedals and the whole, like the real full-size one is like 450-some pounds, 470 pounds. Wow, yeah. But then there's professionals who, what they cut, it's a chop is what they call it. So they'll take off the bottom part of the cabinet, they'll take off the base pedals, you know, like in the organ, like a church organ, uh-huh. and then, because that requires some, you know, jiggery, Internally and right. mechanically, and but they're still a beast. I mean, I've I've slept right. them in New York when I was in New York. I helped a guy load one of those in, and my lord, even a chop weighs several hundred pounds. Yeah, no and then thanks. The, the story I wanted to bring <laughs> up, like this, is not really related to you exactly, right. but it kind of is because you're traveling. Like you're not flying, you're driving around mm-hmm. and you're schlepping this stuff in and out of places on your own, playing a whole series of dates. You've got like, what'd you say, ten or fifteen dates over the course yeah, of a month? Yeah, about that. I mean, and hopefully adding a few more as I. Yeah. Go from here. Like I have a whole return stretch right now that is mostly driving. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to break that up with some yeah. shows if I can. And Vermont them, is no. I mean, that's you know, that's like three thousand miles away. It's almost as far as you can get. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can drive even seven more hours into Maine. Like San Diego to Maine, I guess would be. That would be as far as you're. Yeah, the, as you can travel, or maybe like the very tip of Florida to Washington or Alaska <laughs> if you're going to go. If we're going to go right. big time here, but but within the. Uh, what do you call contiguous it? 48 contiguous 48 exactly 
Uh, yeah, I've gotten as far as you can get almost. Yeah, but I, I mean, I want to hear some songs, but I, I mean, I love telling this story, but it's it's really, really short, but it ties exactly in what I'm talking about. Like, I, I love road warriors and people being out mm-hmm. on the road and and the kind of gear they take, like, because it really tells you about that artist, what's important to them, mm-hmm. what they take. Like you, for example, taking this road tells me a lot about you and your aesthetic and what you're trying to accomplish musically with this tour or just mm-hmm. with you and your thing. Yeah. Um, but Ben Folds. Uh, of Ben Folds Five, you know he's, mm-hmm. he's a good, yeah, excellent piano player. Oh, but yeah. his thing is piano, and when he was in a van, like now he doesn't have to worry about this. He tours at a higher level. But back in the day, in the early '90s, when he was in first breaking out, and it was a, the Ben Folds Five was three guys: it was him, a bass player, and a drummer, and they took that his piano to every single gig. <laughs> the aesthetic was there was a yeah. rule: no electronic keyboards, no digital keyboards, no roads, no Wurlitzer, acoustic piano everywhere, all the time. That's it. So they were telling these horror yeah. stories. Like some load-ins are pretty miserable. You know, they had a load-in that was maybe the venue was up up two or three flights of stairs. I mean, people hire professional, like giant people. <laughs> yeah, to just carry to pianos. move a piano around town. <laughs> right. And yeah. these guys were doing it with a spin like, everywhere. Were, I think they were like eighteen, twenty when they were starting out, yeah. right? Weren't they? Like, they're dudes. Well, that's strapping. Like, I mean, that's that's as strong as you're going to be in your life. I guess that's true. I guess maybe I'm more. I'm thinking like psychologically. <laughs> Like I've, right. I've been on tour when I was younger, and it just felt like the worst thing in the world to have to load in and yeah. load it. Now it's like fine, whatever. I understand yeah. it. <laughs> right, right. But when you're young, it's kind of just like I want to drink. I don't want to yeah. worry about this thing. Yeah, I want to. I want to get with this girl. I don't want right. to like take my spin it down three flights <laughs> right. of stairs and into the van. But that's yeah. the thing, though. That's the thing about touring. Like, uh, you know, the the girl thing, or if you're a girl, the guy thing. Like, you know, hooking up on the road is a whole different experience because you generally have to drive to the next town. Right. I mean, or if you're even yeah. at the next level up, you've got to get on the bus, and someone else is driving you to the next town. You know, yeah, so if you're really gonna sticking around, <laughs> if, you're, if you've got action to do it, man, you better do it quick. Right. Anyway, I'm talking to Michael Chinworth, C H I N W O R T H. He's based in Vermont. Uh, he's a keyboard player, uh, uh, songwriter. Uh, the songs he's, are, he's playing today is from a friend of hers. What's his name? Trevor Wilson. Trevor Wilson. And we'll, yeah. we'll talk about that in a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, but first, I want to hear one of these songs. This is a, a record that came out in August of last year, August of 2015. It's called Rudder Songs. This is Michael Chinworth. The track is not quite ready. Michael Chinworth on Independence Day.
My name is Joe Armstrong. Thank you ever so much for listening to Independence Day. We come to you Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Pacific time. These days, it's Pacific Daylight Time. You can drop by indepday.com. That's I-N-D-E-P-D-A-Y.com to hear all of our episodes. We're approaching 160 episodes. We might even be over it by now. It's hard to keep track. There's so many. Wow. It's like five years and counting, yeah, man. Welcome to the Welcome to the family. I'm happy to be here. It's a big family. Yeah. And so you're out on the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're playing at Hotel Cafe tonight, but you will be... You'll just be a shadow on someone else's door by right. the time the time the yeah, this that's an interesting airs. time thing we have going on, like wormhole. Yeah. yeah. When I started off, I was doing these shows live on the radio, and they were just kind of going out to the internet at the same time. But I also had a staff, and at this point, it's basically me and my dog. So, <laughs> uh, and she's terrible. She doesn't have opposable thumbs, and we, I, I had a long she chat with her. She doesn't seem to be helping out a lot. Yeah. No, well, she does in other ways. She, okay, she's moral good. support. Well, good. Um, but it's uh, without the opposable thumb. It's 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 very hard for her to. I mean, she can move faders and things. Well, and she hears on different frequencies she hears too, much right? She's not going to be a too helpful mixing. Well, they might be unless, better. You know, unless yeah, right. She's like, like got that high mixing. that high uh, frequency sensitivity. Uh, she knows that there, there are notes that we can't hear that she knows are right. out of tune. I guess is what we're trying to get at here. Anyway, Michael Chinworth. You can drop at his website, michaelchinworth.bandcamp.com. Is that how that works, or is it Michael? Is it how does Bandcamp do it? Is Ooh. it like bandcamp.com slash Michael Chinworth? No, nope. if you if you just typed in my name, michaelchinworth.bandcamp.com. Okay, that's the okay. So that that's the thing. thing. Yep. Okay. Uh, and so, um, uh, let's, let's, let's kind of get your baseball card for starters okay. here. Like, cause you're, you're a very accomplished musician. You're a good singer, uh, kind of a pure tenor voice. People are going to hear you play some live songs here in just a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, like what's your background in music? Did you come from a musical family, church, parents? Yeah. Whatever? I mean, I definitely came from a musical family, not quite in the like Von Trapp family singers sense <laughs> in that, you know, it's not like we were all playing music together necessarily but you know we always realize that how musical our family is every holiday when we get together and we sing kind of impromptu okay sing some christmas carols or something and we realize you know i'm talking like extended family everybody right suddenly we're in like this gorgeous four-part harmony without you know needing to assign parts or whatever (laughs) and it's like that's cool wow this is amazing uh and you know my parents played music when they were younger they none of them neither of them did it at all professionally. I mean, my mom kind of helps out with the church choir now. So music was always constantly in my world. And I did it as a kid. You know, I was in the church choir, the school choir, school band, band and stuff all through high school and went on to study music in college, but kind of dropped all of those other things. Uh, But yeah, I've been kind of in one way or another, performing music my whole life, really. What was your instrument? Um, or were you singing as well? Or S- always in, like, singing. In high school? Let's, let's go back to high school, for example. Or actually, well, let's, we let's go, go even farther. I'm sorry, doing Let's go even farther sorry. back than that. Like, yeah. your first, you know, exposure to music in your world as a performer of some kind or someone who is actually doing it yourself. Right. You know, rather than just your parents playing old Zeppelin records or whatever. Right. Like, what, what was that? Well, uh, one thing I like to go way back to is this... We didn't have video cameras in our house growing up, but sometimes friends would come over and videotape. And there's a tape Which of me. Which was a big deal back then. Oh, huge deal. This is the 80. I mean, the video, this 80 was, I mean, I'm not going to say I'm that old, but 87, I think this video clip was made. But uh, my mom's playing the piano for everybody, and I'm standing right next to her with both hands conducting everyone singing. <laughs> I don't remember this, but seeing it, I was like, oh, maybe that was my very first, like, I understand what's happening here, and I'd like to make everybody sing along with me. Uh, 
after that, you know, it was like being a kid in the church choir or the school choir. I don't, I, those are all hazy. I think some of my first memories as like where I was taking the reins for real was like my trumpet lessons. I okay. picked up the trumpet when I was in third grade. And that was kind of like, that was very surreal. Trying to, I mean, trying to figure out how to play an instrument, knowing what kind of knowing intuitively about music and then having to make physical, make that mechanical thing work. Like right. I know what a note should sound like. Why does this trumpet sound like, like terrible? <laughs> and why have I no facility? You know, it was very confusing to me as a nine year old or whatever. But well, that, they gave you so lessons, that was, right? Yeah, I mean, they it gave wasn't me like they no, just gave you a trumpet. Hey, kid. No, yeah. I was, I was being guided, but I just remember that weird... Fi- I guess that's where it was the first time I had to like apply myself. Here, I'm going to make this music. I have to learn this instrument. I'm, gonna take, I'm taking my lessons. But it was maybe one of the hardest things I remember ever doing. Just yeah. bridging that gap from, ooh, I can sing. I know about music. This thing doesn't make music yet. How do I make music right. with it? Right. So that and was kind of like the first work I ever did, I guess. Okay. Now, and how accomplished on trumpet did you get? Like, were you playing uh, I like, was pretty in like good. concert I band mean, or? Yeah, we. I was in the band and, you know, first chair in high school. Okay. I loved it. it. It was an odd thing that took me away from it in that I had braces most of my time playing trumpet. And then in high school, my gut, I took my braces off because my teeth okay. were fixed. Right. <laughs> and suddenly my embouchure which is the term for your lips just doing the right thing, uh, like went totally went south. And I had a hard time playing for more than a few minutes. And it was just really frustrating. And I just, I just forgot about it, you know, when I got to college. Hmm. Every now and then I'll like pick it up and play a few parts if I need like horn parts, you know, right. just something quick, something easy. But I really don't play it anymore, which is a little frustrating. But it's funny in a way, way there's guys like Sufjan Stevens. Who mm-hmm. I love actually, and he, he'll put a lot of brass on his records. He yeah. must have grown up, I'm assuming, playing that kind of stuff because he overdubs a lot of stuff himself. Right. Um, and as much as I love Suffian Stevens, like he's not the best brass player in the right. world. Right? Like, it but sounds that, pretty. It sounds like it's rough DIY. I mean, it yeah. has that f- vibe of like here's just some people that or maybe I mean if it's him, but right. the sound never feels like you know it's not a Michael Jackson. Like, right, and that becomes his aesthetic. I mm-hmm. guess is what I'm getting at. Yeah. You know, so then, and, and as long as it's there's like a, for those of us who are trained musicians of a certain stripe, like it's got to be, it's got to meet a certain meet a certain standard. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm? If yeah. you're, are you with me here? Like, is there? Yeah. I'll, I'll I'm willing to allow. It doesn't have to be perfect. That's totally cool. It can be like punk trumpet. I'm fine with that. But it has to meet a certain criteria of say amateur or in tuneness or within a right. certain parameter. Well, and especially not just. I, I think maybe just to piggyback on that. Not because it's is necessarily in itself a problem to hear a kind of janky trumpet. But maybe you know, you have this feeling that if you're hearing that janky trumpet, that wasn't necessarily a choice being made. And it, and maybe like the part that could have come through or maybe the music just then feels like it's being limited by a less than professional player. Right. It's like, well, because a professional player can choose to do the slick thing, the the rough thing, you know, like when you know your instrument, you can take tours in the, into the, the janky or the slick and whatever. Right. And like, and then, and then that choice is even more strong. And My yeah. girlfriend and I have, uh, this is going to sound funny. We have long discussions about the saxophone. Yeah. Because for me, like <laughs> right. the sax, we have, we have very different relationships to the saxophone. Yeah. Like she grew up playing reed instruments, which is essentially what a sax is. Mm-hmm. 
and as well as other reed instruments, clarinet, what have you. But uh, you know, for me, it, I, it, it's like an instrument. I mean, I did play in jazz band in high school and in college. But in my in my own musical life, a saxophone is largely like it's like the solo on a rock record, right? A Pink Floyd and Money, or, for better or for worse, <laughs> yeah, for better or for worse, you know, or on a Sting record, or on a dopey Glenn Fry record from the eighties. Mm-hmm. You know, the heat is on, or that Careless Whisper. Here's a funny little inside joke: the the Careless Whisper sax melody was when we first met. That was her ringtone for me. Wow. Which I thought was pretty funny. In any case, but her whole thing, like anytime a sax solo comes up, I'll be like, okay, is this sax tone you can abide by or not? Yeah. It's very polarizing. It's very polarizing. I mean, even, you know, within one individual, I mean, I I find them very hard to stomach or just right. Or, but also sometimes I'm like, well, what else is going to happen there? Right. Like when, I mean, I think Bruce Springsteen does it the best. When that sax comes in, it's like, of course. It's, there's something corny about it, but it's almost like having like a a friend who makes puns, you know, like they're funny, but right. they're like, they're pun, you know, everyone has to yeah. groan and pretend they don't like it, but what else is going to happen? Yeah. Well, just like <laughs> anything else, I mean, it has its place. I am by no means, I would like to make it very clear, I am by no means anti-sax. Right. It's just, you know, within certain contexts. She's actually harder, you know, harder edged about it than I am. You, know, you mean like, like she doesn't like it? No, no, no. She does. Oh, she does. But she I doesn't see. like certain the timbre, right? Right. Right. T i m b r e of of people's t- sax tone. You know, mm-hmm. granted, there's like oh, that Sanborn '80s sax tone. Whatever. Is she like? Does she like the rusty kind of sax? She's the... a jazz head. Okay. So she really likes you know kind of pure jazz tone right. when it's just singing. When it's like yeah, there's like a l- l- lyrical line or something. Whereas like you know, I uh, David Gilmore was in town not too long ago, um, which prompted me to listen to "Wish You Were Here" about. 2700 times over the course of a week and she's very tolerant and that's cool uh and bless her for it but you know there's certain sax tone like like some things she likes and some things she doesn't even on that whereas like for me that's like where i start like the like the sax tone within a rock context is kind of my starting point and i like jazz just as well too but yeah yeah Anyway, we're getting way off on a tangent about saxophone. You don't even play saxophone. No. I've never even tried to play <laughs> I saxophone. I haven't either, man. I wouldn't even want to hear what it would sound like if I attempted to play a saxophone. Yeah. So for, for that, for so everyone send me $10 and I won't play saxophone. Is that a deal? <laughs> Sounds great. Okay. Yeah. And then what, what instrument would you not play for $10? Would I not play? Yeah. What do you think you would sound the worst on? I, really, probably a reed instrument. It would have yeah. to be a reed Something about the way my mouth is shaped, I just can't do it. You can do a lot of you can do <laughs> a lot tried, of oral damage with it. the saxophone, man. I got to say, yeah, squeaking. Very There's abused. nothing worse than an amateur clarinetist, you know, fifth grade, just <laughs> shrieking, yeah, into the band room. All right, so let's. You've got this road set up here. We're still. I still want to get a little more background on info on you. Like, I want. I want you to take me to New York and like find out what that experience is like and then mm-hmm. moving you know through college studying music in college i want to hear more about that but first we've got to get to some live music here so you've got this wonderful old from the 80s uh it's a to Rhodes to mark five mm-hmm. mark five and uh, what's this first song going to be man this is what's all this smoke okay and when we come back i also want to talk about there's a very interesting thing about these songs you didn't actually write these that's right but you're performing all of them and they are on your record that's right so that's and when we come back we're going to talk about that we're also going to talk about new york getting to and from new york so this is michael chinworth with the song what's all this smoke on independence day What's all this smoke you use to cover up your eyes? Throw up your arms and let me spoil the design. 
I've seen you smiling at the three-legged dog He barks like a lion, but he walks like a duck I've tried to laugh at the easier lines I want to rebel because it's too hard to climb Settled into smoke and feeling too numb to cry Here's one last chance to keep from passing your time With that same old My name is Joe Armstrong. That is Michael Chinworth, C-H-I-N-W-O-R-T-H. He's a Vermont-based artist. You can learn about him if you drop by his website. That's michaelchinworth.bandcamp.com. Something about those Bandcamp URLs always like bend my brain. Really? Like, yeah. I feel like it should be Bandcamp first and then the artist's name. Because that's how it is with so many other websites. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, Bandcamp is, they are really an artist-forward kind of place. Yeah. I'm really into it. And I actually, ha- I happen to know the founder of Bandcamp. He taught at my co- the college I went to, and I took a class with him, and he just loves it. I mean, he he loves, I can tell that he's really into the fact that he wants to support artists, and yeah. it's, all, it's there for musicians, and that's it. That's the whole point. I went to college with Derek Sivers, the founder of CD Baby, oh, yeah. who then cashed out and sold it for a very pretty penny. Uh, and then he's, he's, he does, he's a very artistic guy. I think he lives in India or he lives somewhere huh. on the other side of the earth. Uh, and uh, I want, I, I mean, I wouldn't profess to say we're like buddies or anything, but right. you know, I know who he is. We were on the same floor at Berkeley. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, so you're a Vermont based artist. That was a cool song, by the way. Thanks. And then tell me, yeah. like, this is a very unique arrangement with this yeah. Trevor Wilson character. Yeah. Like how like how does this function? And then let me just set it up real quick. We talked yeah, yeah. about it before the song. So you're all the songs that you play today were written by Trevor. Yeah, that's and right. he, I'm assuming he's a friend of yours. You didn't like kill that's... him and bury him in a crawl space or anything. <laughs> right. Steal I'm all just, his music. I'm in his skin right now. Yeah, okay, no. you're creeping me out, man. Uh, but so what? How does this work that you and he there are these songs because they're not simple songs and you're out playing them and mm-hmm. you released a record of them? Like yeah, well, so I went to college with Trevor and. I didn't play music with him there, but after college, when we were both in New York, I started playing with him. Uh, well, first of all, he's one of the most prolif- uh, prolific songwriters, artists almost, that I know. Like at any given moment, he could produce five albums. You know, he, just has, he just has material seemingly lying around. Um, Is he a full-time musician? Uh or does he I work mean, in the he business? Work, he work, like, I think right now he's, he's working as like a 
in a tree service in New York, like <laughs> kind of like parks, huh. not parks, but a, they go around and they trim trees and they cut down dead ones. Or Logically. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> no, he, I mean, he does all that. He does that kind of work a lot. I think he prefers doing that in addition to just also writing tons of music. So, I mean, I, so I've been playing with, I played in a couple groups with him mo- that were mostly his guided. He was the band leader essentially. Okay. Um, and then at one point he, had sent a bunch of friends just a link to like a bunch of songs he wrote that he had up on SoundCloud. This was in 2013 and they were just piano voice, you know, not crude recordings, but very, very simple. It's knowing Trevor, I wouldn't be surprised if they were just one take each. Um, and I thought they were just amazing. That's these songs. He, he sent them out and he called the, he called the album Rudder Songs. I had I changed Rudder, really nothing. R-U-D-D-E-R. Yeah, Rudder, like a boat. Like a boat rudder. Yeah, there's a lot of marine things happening with Trevor's lyrics often. <laughs> um, but I, when, when he released that, or when he sent that to me, I loved the songs, number one, but then I suddenly kind of had this strange like feeling of like, these songs are doing something very specific when he performs them. But man, I hear them doing something else entirely. Like, like I like if you go to listen, you can listen to it at anawan.bandcamp. That's our other group, and his versions are up online. Um, and you'll hear the very stark difference between my version and his version. So I just had this like I just got inspired, and I very humbly asked Trevor, "Would you mind if I just kind of took these songs and?" perform them and produce them as a record, you know, added drums, bass, the whole arrangement thing, kind of edited them as I saw fit. I changed some lyrics. I added a few things, kind of used them as a starting point to just make an album because I had been working as a music producer for other people and starting to perform on my own a little more, but had no, I'm not really a songwriter. I went to school for composition, but um, I was always a little more heady. And it was very like laboratory style of music making. We like to say laboratory. Laboratory, okay, noted. Uh, so this, I saw this as an opportunity to kind of codify a few things I'd been working on in my self, which was singing and more straight ahead kind of pop production. Um, so yeah, and Trevor was like more than happy to kind of release them to me. Okay. And by no means are they like my, you know, if technically in the copyright, they're Trevor's songs. Right. I pay him every time I print CDs. Yeah. You know, we have an arrangement. <laughs> I'm not like taking them and running. Yeah. Uh, running well, I'm just, away. I mean, I'm, I'm imagining that conversation, you know, I mean, I guess if you were extremely prolific, it would be much easier to just go, hey, here's 10 songs, take them well, and run. And I, and, nope, and I don't mean to say he's so prolific that his work is cheap to him. I just like, I just felt like I... Almost in, as a service to his music. I don't mean, I don't want to overstate this as if I'm like, you know, so generous. This is a generous thing on my part. But I, it bothered me that there didn't seem like there were more people hearing and understanding his music. Right. And I kind of had this feeling, especially with these songs, that like, man, if, I think I can inhabit these in a certain way. Right. In the way that I know I'm hearing it. And I'm kind of having a feeling other people aren't hearing it. Right. So, like, maybe I could just highlight what I think is fantastic about these, okay. and other people would dig it, too. Yeah. You know? I mean, I'm imagining that conversation. 
you know, like, I mean, I'm, or I'm putting myself in his shoes, uh-huh. you know, when I think about this story, like, you know, say I had five albums worth of material at any given time, like, to use your, your analogy there. Uh, uh-huh. And, you know, if my buddy came to me like, hey, uh, you know, do you mind if I just make a record out of these 10 tunes? I mean, I would probably be much more apt to go, yeah, sure, I would love to hear what those sound like. Right. You know, because I've got four other albums and probably 10 more right. on the way after that. Um, you know, but it's just, it, it seems like it's such a funny thing. Like if you, you know, most artists, you know, that's, it's, they slave on their art, they slave on their songs and they've only got 10 or 20 songs, especially right. if they're starting off and they're young, you know, especially ones they think are good and good enough to see the light of day. Yeah. You know, if somebody came to you and be like, Hey dude, can I take your songs? No, granted, he's your friend. I know. Yeah. It just, it's just such a unique, no, unique I was, thing. I mean, I was very hesitant to ask him. Did you get him f- drunk or something? I got, well, <laughs> I got drunk to even decide I wanted to do this. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I was sitting there like, and I finally just was like, all right, man, like, there's no way around this. I'm obsessed at this point. I have yeah. to at least ask him. Hey, dude, can I sleep with your girlfriend? <laughs> <laughs> Not quite there yet. Yeah. Uh, no, but, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, and I, I, it took me a while to prepare even to, it was just an email, you know, I sent him an email and it, it was very quick and it was like, of course, that would, you know, he yeah. said immediately, I'd, I'd be honored. Okay. Uh, but to, to feel comfortable even asking, I kind of had to do a lot of rationalizing. And one thing I really landed on was the fact, that one of my favorite records is Harry Nielsen playing Randy Newman songs. Okay. And I, I kind of was like, okay, there's the, there's the analogous thing yeah. that makes this more okay. Right. <laughs> like, like there's at least an example as a precedence for right. this. Well, there's it's there's much more of a tradition of that in the in music history than people think. Right. Oh, yeah. Nashville essentially totally. operates on that precept uh, yeah. that the writers write, the players play, yeah. the performers perform. And there's of course cross-pollinization. Or not to mention the entire building. jazz tradition. Jazz tradition. It's like a singer's singing standards. And yeah. I you know, a lot of what Trevor's done in the past, I also feel is I, I use the term like repertoire to describe it because there's something We'd about it. We like to say it. repertoire. Rep, okay, repertoire and laboratory. Uh, there's something about it where I. No, I'm kidding, right? That's just a okay. <laughs> okay. I re, I just the song is bigger than him in a way, and, and this isn't to at all to um, put his performance style down. It's just he has a really specific kind of style. Right. And then I sometimes like, you know, just like someone might sing. Uh, stormy weather one way someone else sings stormy weather another the fact is the song is solid anyone can interpret it right which is a lot of what trevor writes i have that feeling with like like i i think it'd be really interesting if a lot of people tried to sing his songs right right uh, just see what that was like you used a very important and a key word that i was going to use myself in that last sentence or two which is interpret mm-hmm. some performers are interpreters Right, they they write, and that's all there is to it. They don't really ever write a song. Joe Cocker comes to mind. There's countless right. other people like that where they just never were writers, right? You know, but they're but the way they interpret songs is brilliant, and I don't toss that term around lightly. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's just that's why they're famous. That's why we know their names mm-hmm. is because they're good at doing that, taking that song and making it right. their own. And every generation does it. You know, you can do it sideways or you can do it standing on the shoulders of giants and taking something, Stormy Weather, a mm-hmm. Coltrane tune, whatever, and reinterpreting it, you right. know. And it will continue to tumble on down through the ages. Yeah. Hopefully. Uh, I mean, the, it's like, I think, well, when, when didn't Bob Dylan say, like, we don't need any more songs? Like, what, 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 yeah. <laughs> like, what are we doing writing more songs? Yeah. Because in a way, you know, songs even themselves are in reinterpretations of other songs before them. Yeah. Like, 
there's not but a that's huge thing. You know, yeah. Now we're getting down to like to the nitty gritty right. of why we do this at all. <laughs> right. You know, that we've got in our Western scale, we've got 12 notes. Right. We've got a, a can full of time signatures. Yeah. All the frequencies are between, we can only hear between 20 and 20,000 exactly. hertz anyway. And so... More the merrier. Why? 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 You know, but that's but see, that's it though. And now we're getting into like that sixth sense about music. Like people, we still hear songs. I still hear songs come on, and it'll blow me away, and I'll become mm-hmm. obsessed with them. Obsessed. Yeah. Uh, do you know the band First Aid Kit? I do not. Uh, Swedish uh, sisters. They both sing and they harmonize very well. Like it took me a while to figure out before I knew that they were sisters that there was even more than one singer because mm-hmm. they sound so yeah tight when they sing and they'll flip like the Leuven brothers, they'll flip who's got the lead and who's got the harmony, like in the Uh middle of a phrase. Um, but they had a song, um, Cedar Lane on their record that came out maybe two or three years ago. And I was driving home from work late at night work or late radio job. And I heard the song came on the station. I listened to here in LA. I was like, Oh my God, what was that? And thank God we live in the world of Shazam or now Siri can do that too. Siri, what the hell is this song? (laughs) And you know, Joe, that song is Cedar Lane by First Aid Kit. I'm like, okay, so I wrote it down, or maybe I just did a screen grab because I was driving, probably shouldn't be dicking around on my phone, and downloaded it, and it, it just, it haunting, hmm. captured my soul, and hmm. I was obsessed with it for yeah. a while. And I gotta now check it out. Anyway, uh, we're not talking about First Aid Kit, we're not talking about those kinds of things, we're not even talking about C, we're talking with Michael Chinworth, Vermont-based artist, man. Thank you again for coming on the show. I want to hear about the New York story. You know, we, I love these meandering conversations. I want to mm-hmm. hear like getting from college to New York and then back again and like your work there and your work now. But let's play another live song first because sure. we've got some stuff. And I, The last one was great. And I, I, what's this next one? This one is uh, Are We Okay? Okay, Michael Chinworth once again on Independence Day. chance for us to hammer it out all night I never want to be unright are we how can I rest at night with the side jury man chewing man chewing man I never really had a plan That 
was Michael Chinworth on Independence Day. Thanks for listening. Drop by indepday.com, I-N-D-E-P-D-A-Y.com. Also, uh, youtube.com slash videos. a whole pile of videos on there. Uh, Facebook.com slash day. We're all over the place. Twitter at day. Instagram at day. You know where to find us. It's pretty easy to find us. Uh, thanks for joining the family, man, and spend, spending time doing this. Thank you for having me. It's an My honor pleasure. to hear these songs. You're, you're good at what you do. Thanks. I like it. It's fun. It's fun. I love the well, real I road. I know we talked about that before. Yeah. Um, so, like, now, like, let's, let's kind of move back in time like we were talking before. Like, you know, you're, mm-hmm. you're out of high school and, you know, studying music is not... You know, uh, you know, your guy. When you go into your guidance counselor in high school, and you're like, "Well, what do you want to do, son?" They're like, "I want to rock or whatever." You know, they they kind of look at you sideways no, I, and they try to guide you into a more sensible. Choice. I even, in fact, remember my guidance counselor in high school, pretty much saying to us, "Don't go to college, <laughs> or at wow. least don't go to a four year school." Smart, actually. <laughs> no, she. I think she actually was prescient. I think because like when I w- I went to college in two thousand four, that was a little before, that was before the big financial thing, and that was before there was you know it dawned on everybody that maybe this is not what it it's all cut Bad out idea. to be. <laughs> yeah, maybe I don't want to live the rest of my life in debt. I mean, I personally didn't. I was very lucky in that way, but and it may, I think she was anticipating that or whatever. It was yeah. That was my experience in high school. There are times when I that her I wish I had heeded her advice. I had a great experience in college. Yeah. Really imprinted a lot of things on me. I had a great opportunities there. Traveled around the world yeah. when I was in college doing music stuff. But there are times I honestly have to say, we're looking back. I wish I had taken that tens of thousands of dollars and bought a van, right? Bought a studio, and just gone for it. Right. I mean, you know, it's tough. How do you know? How do you know? I mean, I I would never trade my college. I mean, I I went to uh, Bennington College in Vermont, and every, I mean, that's neither here nor there. But the, all the people I met there, I continue to be yeah very close with, and really continue to work with a lot, like just creatively, yeah. constantly. I it's just kind very, of like uh, we forged a family. I looked up your college, Bennington College. It's mm-hmm. uh, you know enrollment's just under eight hundred students. It yep. seems uh, it's kind of a, it's a little smaller than my college, but not by much. Where did you go? I went to uh, Milliken University in Central Illinois in Decatur, beautiful bucolic Decatur, Illinois. Oh, yeah. Uh, n- neither of which it is. I guess it's. I guess you could say it's pretty. Maybe in the fall when the leaves turn. Why it's not? an industrial town in Central Illinois in the middle of the cornfields, but. Uh, the school is very small, and that made it very tight knit. Mm-hmm. So I imagine your college experience was probably similar to mine because yeah. I have the same experience. To this very day, years later, my friends even here in LA because there were so many. It was a big arts college, so a lot of those people are here, and I still see people, still talk to people, still work with mm-hmm. people regularly. Yeah, even now, from all those years. Totally. Ago. Yeah, I mean, I think that's very special, and not that you couldn't find those people. Or find some version of those people <laughs> without yeah. having gone to college. But, you know, when you look back on the chronology of your life, you can't really pull one thread and without pulling on another. Right, so of course. I don't want to replace that. But it's yeah. but it gives you, uh, I mean, especially maybe, uh, I'm going to say this, you know, tread lightly here, but coming from back east where there's a kind of a different mindset. Like California, people do work very hard here, and I don't want to say that they don't because they really, really do. And there's so much of the industry concentrated here, mm-hmm. but there's a different approach, definitely, to way you know California natives or Western natives approach things. Yeah, you know, there's that whole concept. You ever heard the concept of time-based culture versus event-based culture? 
I can imagine, but I need to... Like, uh, I've never the, heard that, but... The time-based culture is, you know, 8 o'clock. Right. You are there from 8 to 5. That's Or east. 9 to 6. We are meeting at 6. If you're there at 6. So one, you're late. As a matter of fact, 6 is late. On time yep. is late. Like, when you're on tour, like, that's what it is. Like, as like a big tour with a bus yeah. and crew and everything, having done that kind of thing. On time is late was the rule. If you're not in the lobby at 8, you're left behind. It's your job to get to the next town mm-hmm. on your dime, right? Yep. And, like, the eastern cities our time-based culture. Western, and I don't mean Western as in like Japan versus the United right. States, I mean Western right. America, right. seem to be more event-based. Yes. Yeah. I have been out here a few times and initially when I first experienced that, I was, I almost went into a panic. Yeah. <laughs> I did not, I literally, this is, it might cast me in a very bizarre light, but I remember literally I was on tour with my friend Pat Hull. We were touring as a duo and we were in Chico and I remember after a show, I don't, you know, I don't, I couldn't point to one thing in particular that caused this, but I just, the whole West Coast thing, I, I, I was experiencing it for the first time really as like a touring, you know, as an adult. And I, I, I remember walking back from the show, back to the house we were staying at, muttering repeatedly that I am from the East Coast. I am from the East Coast. Right. Clutching our merch, just like angry. Like, I, I was angry. It was very yeah. weird. Because I just didn't, everything, I didn't, under, I, this is it. I didn't understand that people moved in a rhythm that was, I didn't see it. I was like, wait, why are we not starting yet? Or wait, wait, why are we, Yeah. why are we concerned about that? Or like, why is, you know, I, it was all very snappy. And right. I, in a way, I can see that being really neurotic, you know, like the East yeah. Coast, like boom, boom, boom. This is what we do. This is what we do. I, I, you know, it's native to me, so I don't, I'm not uncomfortable with it. But now getting more comfortable with the West, the West Coast, I, you know, I totally dig that too. Yeah. <laughs> if I can just relax. Yeah. Know? Well, they're not mutually exclusive. And right. that's the thing yeah. to remember is that right. stuff still gets done. Yeah. California's got the, the totally. depending on the day of the week, it's the seventh biggest economy in the world it's, unto itself. It still honestly shocks me though. I, re- yeah. I thought that as soon as I was filling up gas when I pulled into the valley here. Is this the valley? I don't know. Uh, sort of. <laughs> but I was like, it's amazing. Like, this is the most beautiful gas station. Everything's so clean. Everything's awesome. But then I still had this feeling in my head, like, but people move so slowly here. <laughs> or, like, or people don't seem to have urgency. Yeah. But that whatever. Maybe you don't need to be, like, on the edge of a precipice like you are sometimes in New York where you feel like right. if you don't do the thing you're going to do, then the world's over. <laughs> yeah. It's an existential consideration, <laughs> yeah. I kind of feel like. Like the, the thing, the New York... So I've li- I lived in the Hell's right. Kitchen for a while, yeah. the 9th and 49th. And, and even coming from Chicago, which is a hustle-bustle city, mm-hmm. you know, and definitely is, you know, first world city, big, mm-hmm. lots, a lot of working city. Yep. People are there to work and get stuff done. But healthy arts community. But moving to New York, especially when you go to Manhattan, which is where I lived, like it really is. It's going. You know, the whole place oscillates at this low yeah. frequency all the time. And sometimes it's like, why? <laughs> yeah. When I was living there, it felt like it made total sense. At first, I was like, yeah, okay, I just got to jump into this right yeah. now. And I have to kind of have this like... Tick, 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 tick. But now I go back. I mean, I haven't even been living back in Vermont that long. But if I go down into the city, it's I, I've, I guess I've softened. And so I'm like totally taken aback. And I'm like, why is everybody... 
you know, just chill out, everybody. <laughs> Let's yeah. take a break. But who knows? So now, you know, we've been kind of alluding to this for a while. Like, I want to get to this New York thing. Is it something you and I share in common? And mm-hmm. it's such a different, unique thing. Um, but let's push it off like to one, for one more song. Like, let's get one more live song in first, and then we have something to tell people about. All right, cool. Encourage people to come back after this. So what's this next one, man? This one's called City Burns. And now, do you have, like, your relationships to these songs? Um, did, did you, uh, Trevor, did you, like, sit and did he explain what these things are about, or did that not even matter? You no, just kind of interpret I mean, it and I, off you go. I went to Trevor only when I was confused about some of the harmonies. <laughs> like, okay. honestly, like in the, like Sit, City Burns is actually a perfect example. I couldn't f- quite figure out the progression. I didn't get how he was, well, I took his progressions and I've, I ended up voicing things on my own in the keyboard, but I, I, sometimes I just couldn't figure out what chords he was playing. So I would ask him about that. Other than that, I totally did not. Dude, don't bug me. I've got my chainsaw. I'm cutting this branch off. Yeah. Don't call me now. I'm kidding. Wait, what? Didn't you say that he worked as a tree trimmer guy? Oh, right. Yeah. Dude, don't call me. I'm working the chipper <laughs> exactly. right now. Exactly. I didn't want to bother him. All but right, no, I, I'm sorry. It was stupid. <laughs> but I, yeah, I pretty much kind of intentionally did not want to talk to him about the songs at all and just kind of let myself explore them, which who knows if that was the right choice. Because sometimes when I ask Trevor about his songs, he'll give me an answer that I totally didn't expect. Sometimes it's useful, sometimes it's not. Like, you know, Trevor, what's this song about? He'll say something, and I'm like, what? (laughs) Where did that come from? Yeah. So in a way, I I guess I'm happy I totally just took them and had my own experience with them, basically. Okay. That's a good enough answer for me. Okay. All right. Michael Chinworth, uh, Trevor Wilson's song on Independence Day, City Burns is the track. City burns in the country in a sifting web of time in a soft sea of branches several lower parts will die leaving a dry side leaving it open wide leaving a red On the country On the country She's waiting up there on the country now Sitting up there On the country now She's waiting up there On the country now Sitting up there on the country now 
She's waiting there on the country now Sitting up there on the country now Now, 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 Joe Armstrong, thank you for listening to Independence Day. As always, drop by indepday.com, I-N-D-E-P-D-A-Y. Follow us on Twitter at indepday, etc., etc. This week's artist, Michael Chinworth, he's uh, Vermont-based, but he's got a New York connection, mm-hmm. right? So was it... Now, let's, let's, we've been alluding to this this right. whole time because it, it's such a unique place, uh, and we kind of built up to this a little bit, especially for the arts and music. Like there's this energy mm-hmm. there all the time, and people are always doing this stuff. And there's studios there, and everyone plays there. No one goes on tour and doesn't play New York, right. even though the parking sucks and it's ridiculously right. expensive and it's an infuriating place in a lot right. of ways. <laughs> like, why there? Just because it's close, well, or you could have gone to Boston. You could have gone anywhere. I mean, after college, it was really just almost a default logical next step. <laughs> like everybody. I think 50% of the Bennington graduating class moves to New York, at least at some point, if not, like, actually, they're all still there. (laughs) Like, you can walk down the street most days, and 50-50 chance you're going to run into a classmate of yours. And, you know, this was a very tiny school. So a lot of people go there. So, I mean, I thought, okay, I've graduated. I ended up actually working at Bennington College for a year after I graduated, they offered me a job as a a piano instructor and accompanist for voice students, which actually was a huge year for me. Um, Really important. But after that year, I was like, well, looking around and I thought, well, all my friends are in New York. They're all living in Brooklyn. I'll just, whatever. My roommate, uh, a good friend of mine had a room open in his apartment, so I'll take it. And, you know, it was a year of like complete, you know, nothing. I was doing nothing for like a year. <laughs> no, I, I shouldn't say that. I was playing in this band and we did, we made great music actually, but I was very lost personally, obviously, you know, being 20, whatever, three and in New York for the first time. Were you working in music like for money to pay your rent or did no, you have another gig you know, doing something? I started, I did whatever I could at first. My friend was in the catering thing, so right, I got right, those right. gigs. Like, you know, at one point I worked for the U.S. Open tennis tournament as a cook. Yeah, it was all over the place. And then I ended up just getting a restaurant job that I had for like three years or four okay. years. So I would work as a waiter. Um, no, I never really made music or made money from music. Uh, I, I would like to eventually, I guess, but I didn't really need to. So you know, I moved to New York and I'm playing in the band. Uh, called Horse's Mouth. They're all alums of Bennington as well. And I I, I feel bad that I even said I was doing nothing because we were making that music. It was just such a blur. Uh, Stylistically, it, what was that band like? That was, man, hard. A lot of p- 
people it was kind of like chamber folk rock it was kind of guitar centric tavo carbone is the songwriter's name and he might be one of the greatest guitarists i honestly have ever met certainly ever met if not ever heard and we would base we would gather around his songwriting we had a violinist i played different keys often accordion bass and drums and um we would arrange his songs with that ensemble and it was great i mean it was almost like kind of on a small scale very symphonic and right. very through composed feeling like the, like a, like a concert was kind of like a solid 45 minutes of this music kind of like a show like it wasn't just song 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 it was like song interlude there was you know Gustavo is a really intelligent composer and visionary so we had this whole it was like living it was like being in an organism this is how i describe yeah. it in which we were inhabiting Tavo's songs um that though you know that was just a little stressful at one point and we had to kind of let it go none of us were we were all in the same boat basically like struggling to make ends meet not really knowing how to live our lives <laughs> yet <laughs> so it was a little chaotic i mean i cherish that music but we had to let it go uh we all then went on to do our own things and then from there, I was working with Trevor a lot in his bands, uh, Anawan or Trevor Vocal on Ensemble, Trevor Wilson and Vocal on Ensemble. Um, and yeah, you know, New York was a funny time. I how long were you there? I was there for five years. Okay. Um, you know, it's kind of, I guess, ge- geographically, it's the place where I sat in my apartment. And decided to just like be a singer. I was okay. like, I'd never really sung. And I would, I just finally got my keyboard out and I was like, you know, screw this. I was really frustrated at the time. I was like, I had just broken up with my girlfriend. It was all like very horrible and in that kind of like <laughs> heartbreaking romantic right, way. Right, yeah, yeah. Very 20s. Oh, yeah, totally 20s. But it, tra- it, tra- tragedy, I tra- think is the word. Tra- tragic, complete tragedy. <laughs> but from the bottom of what felt like, a well, I sat there and was like, what can I do? I think I can sing. Maybe I'd like to sing. <laughs> and I'd always knew I could sing. We had mentioned how I was in choirs and stuff, but never, I never took it seriously as something I would do, you know, predominantly or like where the focus would be on me as a singer. So I kind of just sat in my apartment when I wasn't working in the restaurant and was like, what do I sing? I sang some Stevie Wonder at first. I just started singing songs I liked. And from there, I've got really into it. Okay, <laughs> just yeah. That's well, a good like origin story. Yeah, and, and then, you know, ever since then, I've been, I, I just I find things that like what can I sing? Because I I've tried writing songs. I've literally written I think two songs I would call pure originals in my life, and I love them, but I don't I wouldn't perform them. They were very specific yeah. to a time. And then I met my friend Pat Hull, who I'm going to see later this week. Uh, he is a songwriter and I just, we kind of clicked and I became his Garfunkel in a way. I would just sing like backup and, right, right. you know, close harmony and then sometimes take solos. That was a great time. It's just kind of, it's been really just a snowballing of Michael the singer <laughs> since yeah. New York. And ever since I left New York, actually, I've been trying to do other things too creatively because I was missing it. I was missing the more laboratory side of my right. creativity right and what are those things like what is now so now you're so you what was okay let's 
Let's let's like get you geographically out of New York, like because New York leaves a big imprint on anybody who spends any time right. there at all. So and then like we didn't. What was it that made you decide to leave? Well, several, uh, really two things. I had when I was working up at Bennington, I had done a, this. This is going to be a longer story to get down to this, but uh, I was working with this class that was studying duop songs. And it was fantastic. We would just like sing and like I would arrange doo-wop songs for these students and I would sing with them and it was just so fun. Your class where? Uh, at Bennington. Bennington. When I was okay. like an, got it, got working it, got as an accompanist and I, and my voice teacher, Tom Bogdan, was like, Michael, just be a part of this class. You'll kind of be pseudo student, pseudo instructor, whatever. It was great. From that, a playwright or a drama teacher there who ha- has a husband as a playwright a playwright as a husband. How very collegiate that sounds. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, they were writing, he was writing a play and he wanted to incorporate doo-wop songs into it. And so he would have these, his play was mostly straight, you know, it's not a musical, but then there'd be these song interjections and he wanted them to be like pretty much straight up genre doo-wop. And he heard that I was in part of that class. So he got me along for the project and sent, so he had lyrics. So he would send me lyrics and I would write doo-wop songs to them. Like, you know, I would, they were original music, but totally aping the doo-wop yeah. style. So I had that relationship with him. There's really no avant-garde doo-wop that I'm aware no. of. I, you know, if there's anything I'm going to try to do next, maybe that's it. <laughs> because then, well, then it's, it just kind of becomes vocal jazz, I think, that's at that true. point. Yeah. Well, anyway, I'll, I'm I'll try to going. figure it out. <laughs> but, uh, so that was great. And so this is all to say that years later... I'm in New York. The same playwright comes to me. I have a new play. His name's Quincy Long, by the way. Uh, he has a play in which he wants his wife to direct it at the college. It's like her last term. She's retiring. Uh, it's kind of like an ode to Bennington. And he has all these songs. He wants it to be like kind of country western, bluegrassy, you know, barnyard stomp style. And so I'm, he asked me to write them again. And I'd, I'd tell them, well, I'll write the songs and I'll be like the sound designer and engineer and performer for this play. I'll come up, I'll be the one who teaches the students the songs. I'll put together a pit orchestra. I'll uh, do the sound design. I kind of said I would do all, like the job of like three people. Mm-hmm. At the time I was like, this will be fine. This, what a great thing to do. Because I was kind of, I was kind of felt like I was coasting in New York. So I was like, why not just take on all this responsibility? So I knew I'd have to be up in Vermont to produce that anyway a year from then so i moved up and the studio i recorded my record rudder songs in is 20 minutes from the campus Mm -hmm. in upstate new york uh kin studios in Hoosick falls new york so i'd been traveling kind of back and forth from new york to there anyway and so i thought well this this is perfect i'll just move up there i'll find a room in vermont or wherever near the college I'll really be able to focus on the record. I'll just be able to be there all the time. And then I'll work on this play on the campus. So that's what brought me back. And there you are. There, in, there, there you are in Vermont. Yeah. Back in the, well, I guess it's still winter in New York, so it's not that much different there. And that's like right. New York's not that terribly far from Vermont, right? No, it, you know, and it was a really quick, I got really used to the drive. So, you know, it's a four hour drive down there and no problem. No like it, I, I would even go down there for just one off shows, like yeah. come back that night. And are you, uh, are you happy in Vermont? Having yeah. been in New York? Yeah, definitely. I mean, 
I would, when I first moved out, I was like, what am I doing here? <laughs> you know, I knew what I was doing there, but I was annoyed that the movie theater only played seven boring movies at one time. You know, <laughs> I couldn't go to yeah. a cool theater, you know, I, right, right, right. culturally not interesting. I can't go to a show where someone's going to throw yeah. poop on me from the stage, which just <laughs> seems like such a New York. Right. Yeah. I couldn't really do those things, but that just made me have to focus like, well, if I want to do these things, I have to plan for it. And yeah. like, you know, I honestly didn't even go to that many things it, when I was living in New York, moving out it was more of an incentive to like look into it. Like, oh, there's yeah. a cool theater piece or there's this thing I want to go see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boom, make a trip. Yeah. And you, pre- you know, somehow you appreciate it more. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, Vermont's beautiful. It's quiet. It's slow. Yeah. And as soon, and you know, I've, I've figured out how In to kind of, yeah. And I figured out how to kind of cultivate my own personal creativity out in that it was a little weird at first i was like yeah. well no reason to do anything <laughs> right know? but then it's like well no reason to do anything i'll start just experimenting and making music yeah. again yeah and here we are yeah so you get this record rudder songs came out in august of last year uh you're on tour so that's pretty cool yeah you know uh 12 or 15 dates over the course of that's a right. month or so and getting out and seeing America at car speed is a very good way to do it. It's fantastic. It's hard. I mean, it takes takes energy. It's a very different experience. But I think it's good. There's a value. There's a value certainly in traveling. And there's a value certainly in seeing different mm-hmm. things in different cultures, learning about time-based or event-based cultures like we were saying before. But there's also, like, it, it, does, it does a thing for your psyche. You know, it's like driving. Like, you're kind of bored. When you're driving yeah. uh, an 800 mile drive, but yeah. I think this is something we've lost with the with the advent of having the internet in our pockets at all times and on our nightstand and everywhere we go, um, mm-hmm. is there's a value in boredom. Totally, it allows your brain to like reorganize itself. It's like a reset. It is like yeah, a reset. I've I mean, I knew I always I I've traveled enough now that I can anticipate that, and right. so it, like I I honestly didn't even want to come on tour. <laughs> I was like really cozy and comfy in Vermont and I was enjoying myself. I felt like I was productive. I was into what I was doing just on my own. So why I was go like, then? I was like, man, well, I, I already planned it. But okay. I know that, the, but I know about this reset phenomenon. And so I was excited to be like, okay, after this trip, even though I'm kind of just getting from place to place and thinking about what food I'm going to eat next, I'm not particular, you know, I, I know that there's something going on in your you know, you know, there's something right. happening in your head that when you get back, you'll just see things differently. Right. It'll be fresh again. Maybe the relationships you have there, wherever you left, will be renewed in a way. Yeah. Maybe some things that weren't good will have fallen off, or some things that are good right. will have presented themselves again. But it's just like a way to, you know, clean yeah. house in Tabula a way, rasa. which I always like. And it really makes you appreciate those seven movies at the multiplex. Exactly. There you go. All right. So one more song, man. Why did you choose this song? This is a cover. I mean, even though the other songs are technically not yours, like why pick this song? Tell me who it is first. Uh, this is uh, this is Kate Bush's song, Cloud Busting. Um, I don't know. I I think there was a point very recently where I just had a moment with her where I was I had never really listened that much to her, and suddenly I'm just I couldn't get enough. You know yeah. how that happens. Um, and I knew I wanted to do, I knew there was something in her voice, not just like singing voice, but her authorship that I was really attracted to. Like they were, you know, they're in a, they're not quite pop songs, but they're very accessible. They're often pretty groovy, you know, depending on which right. song. But they were always very interesting to me in that kind of, in that way where like really interesting lyrics 
or melodies can be told in in one way or the other. You know, right. there's not one way to see that. Like My Girl, My Girl is a romantic song about My Girl. Right. I don't mean to diss on that song, but like a song like Kate Bush, you don't quite know what's going on. Right. So I was, but I knew I liked whatever was going on. So I wanted to just. I knew I wanted to do one of her songs. It's very David Burnish. I mean, her in general, with like a British sensibility, I think. Mm-hmm. That's how I think about I it. I have never connected those two, but... I mean, they I'll, don't sound exactly yeah. alike, but their aesthetic, their approach, yeah. you know, is kind of otherworldly. Well, and it's, and it's, it's art, artistic, first and foremost. Right. It's not like, there's no personality. I mean, there is a personality, but it's not like, here's me, the personality, like Madonna or something. Right. And being Madonna, like Kate Bush is Kate Bush, and she's making choices because they're interesting to her. Right. And you know, for whatever reason, she became extremely successful. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I don't get this. I get this feeling that it's artwork before it's anything else, and yeah. I, that's the same with David Byrne. Yeah. And so right. I just love that. So one last time, Michael Chinworth covering Kate Bush's "Cloud Busting" on Independence Day. I still dream of Argonon I wake up crying You're making rain And you're just in reach When you in sleep escape me You're like my yo-yo That glowed in the dark What made it special Made it dangerous So I bury you And forget And every time it rains You're here in my head Like the sun coming out Ooh, I just know that something good is gonna happen I don't know when But just saying it could even make it happen On top of the world Looking over the edge You could see them coming
And every time it rains You're here in my head Like the sun coming out The sun's 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 coming out Your sun's coming out And that is a fine rendition of Kate Bush's Cloud Busting. The artist is Michael Chinworth. He's Vermont-based. Perhaps you've heard of it. He's been in the, Vermont's been in the news a lot with Bernie Sanders as this... Uh, this thing has been rolling through our lives Feeling like an out-of-control train or oil tanker that's on fire. I don't know yeah. what it is. But uh, in any case, uh, I mean, would you call yourself a Vermonter now? Is that what they call people from Vermont? You know, no. I don't. I've Because your background is uh, Pennsylvania and Pennsylvania, Indiana. Pennsylvania, Indiana, yeah. And I, I, honestly, I don't. I go to those places and for, other, for various reasons, all these places are home. Yeah. I never... I, it's more when I'm there, I am I am that state. <laughs> yeah. I don't carry a state with me. I'm just, I go to Pennsylvania and it's a certain family, it's a certain culture, and then I go to Indiana, it's a whole other story, whatever. Yeah. You know, I don't, I feel a little orphaned in that way, but yeah. But I know I have homes in all of those places. So Yeah. I call them different lives. Right. I've lived in different places in different states and it's like I can go visit that life for a while. Yeah. And even though everyone's changed and maybe they tore down this store and put up something new, it's like, well, it still feels pretty close to what yeah. it was before. Change the names, I guess. Right. In any case, uh, man, thank you again for thank coming you. out, yeah. you know, driving all the way to California. That's pretty cool. Uh, and thanks for you know taking time out, being on the show. You know, you're doing a tour kind of at your own pace, but it's still mm-hmm. a thing. You know, you could be hanging out at the beach today, totally, or whatever. So well, thanks for coming, talking about music with me, man. Yeah. So the artist Michael Chinworth, uh, he played his awesome Rhodes piano from the '80s and sang some songs from Trevor Wilson plus a Kate Bush song. It's been great to spend the afternoon with you, man. Thank you, Joe. That's I appreciate it. And you can also drop by michaelchinworth.bandcamp.com to hear lots and lots of stuff. You've got all kinds of music on there, right? Yeah, a lot of a lot of weird different things. Okay, and then you're working your way back east. You've got a few more like West Coasty type shows, and then you're mm-hmm. kind of working your way back Going east. Going to so the Bay be... Area and then cruising uh, cruising east. All right, man. Well, Godspeed. Good luck. Thank you. Uh, have fun. Play good music, and uh, you know, don't stop doing what you're doing, Max. It's cool. Thanks a lot. All right, so thanks to Michael Chinworth, also to the Independence Day staff, Dale Tanksley, Wayne Topinski, and Sally Shackleton. The convivial Tony Tone Loke Piscotti manages the Independence Day website. Independence Day's theme music was composed by Great Lakes Smith Society. They're great. You should check them out. For Independence Day, I am Joe Armstrong, and if you do anything today, please be good to one another.